Good morning. I'm certainly thankful to be here today to have an opportunity to share a portion of God's Word with you today. I'd like to let you know I do not take this opportunity light that since I've been here, I've noticed that the church here at Denton certainly takes good pride in its teaching, that it's very good quality teaching. I spent a little bit of time listening to some of the past sermons, and I've been very encouraged by the quality of teaching that's here and the emphasis that's put on. And I hope and pray that what I have to say lives up to that standard of excellence. If you will, turn to the book of Luke this morning. That's where we're going to have our first reading, or the majority of our reading, in the book of Luke chapter 9. Before we start, I want to ask you a question. That's my car up there. That's a 1999 Pontiac Grand Prix. It only takes ethanol-free gas. And I know that seems kind of foreign down here, and believe me, it was foreign when I got here. I could not find a single ethanol-free gas station the moment I got down here, and I had about that much gas left in the tank. And so we had to make a few trips back up to Oklahoma with the gas tank and bring it back and get some more gas to where I could get home. But when I got the vehicle, I was told not to put any gas in it that had ethanol in it. It would cause the fuel lines to corrode. It would cause problems with the spark plugs, and the car would not work properly. And as I drove it, I continued to do that. I continued to put ethanol-free gasoline in it so that it wouldn't break down. But as I got farther along and I got to the point where I was low on gasoline and I couldn't find ethanol-free gas stations up in Oklahoma where they're mostly popular, I would look and see a gas station that had ethanol in it. Ethanol gas is a lot cheaper, by the way, than ethanol-free gas. And I would see it as much more convenient. What's it going to hurt if I just put a little bit of gas in there with ethanol? It's not going to hurt too much. And so I go ahead and put it in there. $2,000 replacement fuel lines and spark plugs later, I learned my lesson. Has anyone ever given you a task to do and told you how to do it? And then you find a more convenient way that fits what you want to do? It's much more convenient in the moment, and you decide to veer off the path and do it that way. I'll tell you what, that's a lot of what happens in the religious world today. People view being a Christian, being a servant of God. They may be sincere in their hearts, but they see the way that's laid out before them. And they look at the plans, they look at the points that they're supposed to add to their lives, the things that they're supposed to do, and they see, you know what, that's, that's the way that I was told, but I have a much better way. And that's the way we think about things. We see the way that's laid out before us, and then we start to think in our minds, well... My way is just a little bit better. I want to tell you, in the book of Proverbs, the Bible says that there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end is the way of death. Michael, we're having PowerPoint troubles. That's okay. 
The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 16, beginning in verse 25, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of the way is death. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning, is the way that Christ laid out for us to be His servants, the way that Christ wanted us to be Christians and to be His disciples, not the way the world sees being His disciple, but what Scripture says, the foundational principles of being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the beginning passage that I told you about, beginning in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, we're going to read there. The Bible says, And He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. Three foundational principles of being a servant of Jesus Christ. One is to come after Him. Two, deny yourself. And three, take up your cross daily. And we're going to examine what those mean today. The first is to freely follow Him. Before we start, I'm not here to get into a discussion of a big theological discussion behind everything that has to do with free will. There's a discussion out there about that in the religious world today. But I want to ask you, as a parent, as parents in the audience today, your children. Before we go there, let's read in John chapter 12, verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him will my father honor. Let's say you have children. Young children between the ages of 9, 10, 11 years old. Most often, before they go to bed, you want them to brush their teeth, you want them to take a shower, you want them to get to bed on time, you want them to wake up, wake up early the next morning, and you lay out a plan of things that you want them to do. And oftentimes, I can attest to this, I didn't always brush my teeth before I went to bed. I know that you think I'm a perfect child, but I'm not. There's some sarcastic laughs in the audience. (laughs) But how did it feel when you had to go out of your way to take your child by the arm and force them to go brush their teeth? To force them to go to bed on time? To force them to take a shower? To wake up on time so they wouldn't miss the school bus? How did it feel when you had to force them to do what you asked them to do? You weren't comfortable. You didn't like that. You didn't like the fact that you had to go out of your way just to make them do what you'd ask them to do. And they weren't happy that they had to be forced to do it. They had regret. Let me ask you something. Don't you feel amazing whenever your children do what you ask them to do? Isn't that a wonderful feeling? I submit to you that's the same thing with our Lord and Savior when we do the things that He asks them to, us to do of our own free will. And someone might say, well, what if I don't want to do it? Doesn't that defeat the purpose of free will? If I don't want to get up out of bed in the morning, if I have to force myself, isn't that against what I want? Friend, that's not the case. I want to pose an example to you. I was in a wedding about a couple months ago. My brother got married, and his wife wanted the groomsmen to wear bow ties. I do not like bow ties. I don't, I don't think it's because I don't look good in them. I don't, I don't think I look good in them. But it's not because of a stylish thing. It's just I have a thing with bow ties. I don't like them. And we went back and forth between the bride and me saying I wasn't going to wear them till eventually came to the point, well, you know what? I'm just going to wear it. And you know why I wore it? It's because I love my brother and my soon-to-be sister-in-law. I love them. And so I'm going to go out of my way. No praises to me, but I'm going to go out of my way to do something I don't want to do just to make them happy because I love them and because I care about them. And so when you make the decision, when people make the decision to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and they don't want to. It is not against your free will just because you don't want to do it. It is a great testament to lay aside your own personal desires to choose to follow Him. And speaking of which, that's the second thing that he talked about. If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself. Let's talk about what he means by that. Before we go there, getting ahead of myself. You know, when you walk into a lot of Christian homes today, we see this on plaques up on the wall. It's usually got some dots in between to remove the beginning or the middle piece of the verse. But the overall statement is, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Friend, I want to let you know today the Lord meant for that to be more than a bestseller at Hobby Lobby in Mardell. And that's no knock on anybody who has that in their house. I think it's a great piece of art to have in the house. I think it's very encouraging. But we need to live that every day. Every moment we wake up, choose you this day whom you will serve. If you don't want to get up on time and it's against your will, get up on time as the kids kids do as we were talking about with the parents. Sometimes you don't want to get up and you don't want to serve Him. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Even if it's what you don't want to do, you are still making that choice, even if it's what you don't want to do. And on to the next point he talked about of denying yourself. Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, verse 2, And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. As servants, Jesus calls us to be fishermen. Have the mindset of a fisherman right now. Why do you clean your net? What's the point of cleaning a net? I mean, fishing hasn't changed much since the first century B.C. Really, there's still the same concept. You cast a line out into the ocean, you catch a fish. Here he's talking about nets. Fishermen still use nets. What's the point of cleaning a net? Well, as a fisherman casts his net out into the ocean, over time he's going to catch things inside of it, things he doesn't want. There's going to be seaweed, There's going to be trash, clutters of dead fish carcasses, all kinds of stuff you don't want inside that net. Why does a fisherman clean his net? Let me ask you, do you want that in your net? Is that going to help you catch any fish? I think you can see the spiritual parallel here. The trash, the seaweed, the dead fish carcasses, Cemetery full of dead men's bones. The things you and I struggle with every single day. The pleasures of this world. Jesus calls us to be fishermen in the world. And when you cast out your net, your net is your life that you live. And that sea is the world full of souls that the Bible calls fish, that we are supposed to fish for. And you clean your net. You clean it free of the seaweed. You clean it free of the trash of the dead fish carcasses. You clean it free of everything that Jesus says to purge it of. All the worldly pleasures and desires. The world is not going to respect a hypocrite. Friend, you and I need to have clean nets as we go fishing. And that's what Jesus calls you to be. He calls you to be a fisherman with a clean net. And that goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning. When you want to serve God, it's not against your own free will to lay aside the things that you want to do to go out fishing for Him. To deny yourself of the things that clutter your net and make you an ineffective fisherman. And now the last point that he talked about, and this is the thing that often people get uncomfortable talking about because it's such an uncomfortable uncomfortable position that we put ourselves in in our country. 
You know, as you walk around today, I was at I was at Sprouts towards the beginning of the summer with Michael and his family, and over off in the medicine section, there's this there's this area of all these different medicines you can take. There are these little these little tiny bottles that have labels on them for every kind of different pain you can experience: headaches, uh, joint pain, um, nausea, any kind of pain that you have. They have a, they have a pill for it. In our society today, isn't that what we do? We have a pill for almost any kind of pain you can think of. And I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a pill for some kind of pain that you have. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the mindset that when they're suffering, there's a, there's a way out. There's an instant way out. There's a way to avoid it. I want you to think about what Jesus said when he said, Bear your cross. What is a cross a symbol of? Well, it's a symbol of pain, suffering, death. Do you think Jesus was in an uncomfortable position when he hung there on that cross? Do you think they took the time to sand the back of that cross so that it would be nice and smooth? I don't think they did. It must have been an uncomfortable situation to be in. He says, Bear your cross daily. And follow me. I want to talk about that principle. He says in Luke chapter 5, verse 4, When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. This may be hard to believe because I grew up on water, but you know what one of my deepest, deepest fears is? Deep, deep, dark water. It is scary, I tell you what. I've seen my fair share of Jaws movies, Deep Blue Sea, and all those crazy fishing stories about guys who fall over the boat. I've known a couple people in the Navy that have talked about some crazy stories out at sea. I tell you what, there is no more uncomfortable position I want to be in than out at sea all by myself. Jesus said, launch out into the deep and cast down your nets. I want you to think about what's out in the deep ocean for a moment. Let's go down the list. Storms, beasts of the sea, sharks, whatever you want to call it, jellyfish, Portuguese man of wars, if you want to get specific, that's one animal I'm scared of. Had a run-in with that when I was young. Really, really scary. Far away from the safety of shore, the safety of home, it's not where you want to be. And what do you think Jesus meant when he said launch out into the deep, contrasting that with bear your cross and the suffering we've talked about? Friend, you and I are not going to catch any fish, even if we clean our nets and even if we make that decision to follow him every single day, even against the things that we want to do the other way, if we're just sitting here in the pews. We have to get up, go out those doors, launch out into the deep, cast out our nets, and go fishing. That's what you and I are called to do in those uncomfortable situations. You know, another thing that a cross is a symbol of, it's a symbol of death. And Paul talked about that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He described beginning his journey as being crucified with Christ. This is where he made the decision to follow him. He died that death. You know, if there's one thing I've learned over this summer, is that praise God if you have His death. That is a wonderful thing. But friend, you can't have His death if you don't also have His life. 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Therefore we are buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. What does it mean to walk in His life? What's the one thing you remember about your Savior? Well, we remember His suffering. We remember the pain and agony. We remember the situation that He was put in. But what did he say when he was in the garden alone and he was praying? Father, not my will be done, but thine. He did it of his own free will. He may have not wanted to, but he did it because he loved us. You launch out into the deep. You bear your cross. You deny yourself. Even when you don't want to, but you do it because you love him. As we close, I want to make a few remarks about what Paul said about his sufferings. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 25, he says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters. In perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that when you go to bed every night that you need to fold your hands and pray, Lord, that I suffer the next day. That I won't be a faithful Christian unless I suffer some kind of persecution, unless I suffer some kind of uncomfortable situation. But what did we just talk about when Christ suffered? What was the purpose of it? What was the purpose of His suffering? What was the purpose of all of Paul's sufferings? He didn't just walk out the front door that morning and endure all that for nothing. It was all for a purpose. It was for the sake of spreading the gospel. And He bared those burdens. He bared those burdens for a purpose. Because He loved the Lord and He wanted to preach that message. And that's what you and I are called to do. And some might, might say that might have that mentality of looking for that easy way out, that, that pill that sprouts that just cures, cures the disease that they have. They don't want to endure the sufferings. It'll deter them from getting out there and preaching that message. What did Paul say about the sufferings of this present time? Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. It says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to, to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's not my car. I wish. <laughs> That's a Lamborghini. That is a really, really cool car. <laughs> you know, when Paul says that he's not, it's not worthy to compare the sufferings of this present time with the glory that shall be revealed in us, you have that Lamborghini. That Lamborghini is sitting in your driveway right now. It's ready to go. The keys are in the ignition. Full tank of ethanol-free gas, by the way changed oil, everything is ready to go, but oh no, there's a flat tire. Ah, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I'm going to have to pull the jack out of the garage. I'm going to have to get down and scrape my knees. It's going to be a hassle. It's not worth it to drive the Lamborghini. Really? Is that flat tire worthy to be compared with that Lamborghini? Are the sufferings of this present time worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us? 
Friend, if you'll permit me one more illustration. In Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 45, Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. But when he had found one pearl of great price, when all that he had and bought it. I love Discovery Channel. I love Discovery Kids, mostly because it's on my level and I can still understand most of it. <laughs> but you know how a clam forms a pearl? Well, in the ocean, parasites tend to float around on the bottom of the ocean floor. And what they'll do is they'll, the way that they prey on a clam is what they'll do is they'll find a soft spot in the top of its shell and they'll burrow through it to get inside of it so that it can eat the meat on the inside so it can survive. That's what a parasite does. It lives off another organism. So in order to protect itself, the clam will deposit calcium around that parasite in order to protect itself. For a moment, the parasite will get inside of it. It'll cause some trouble. But the clam will deposit calcium so that it can protect it. And the more calcium deposits that come around that parasite, eventually the pearl will be formed because it becomes so densely compact that it becomes this round, smooth surface. And there you have a pearl. Friend, a pearl is created when the clam suffers. And let me ask you this. Is that pearl worthy to be compared with the parasite? Is that worthy to be compared with it? And that's what we can lose sight of from time to time. We see the parasite. We see the flat tire. We see the sufferings of this present time. And we lose sight of the glory. We lose sight of the Lamborghini. We lose sight of the pearl. Don't take your eyes off the pearl. Don't worry about the sufferings of this present time. If there's one thing that's going to deter you from being a servant of Jesus Christ, don't let that deter you. It's not worthy to be compared. Instead, do as Paul says, where he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Follow him. Deny yourself and bear your cross. Motivate yourself when you don't want to do it because you love Him. Deny yourself of the worldly pleasures that other people will see you as a hypocrite because you love Him. And bear your cross and endure the sufferings because you love Him. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. You know, the song's not in this book, but... As we close today, I want you to think for a moment. There's a song in some of the older books that's called Hilltops of Glory. It's not usually led as an invitation song, but I'm a very firm believer that as we think of songs, when we think of the lyrics behind a song, that that can put us in a very sobering mindset. We're not going to sing that song today. We, we don't have it in the books. But as you sing it in the future, if you ever come across it in the future, I hope and pray that you would think of this moment. Open praise, you think, as you sing those words, onward rejoicing, I tread life's way. Higher I'm climbing each passing day. Hilltops of glory now rise in view, where all will be made new. I hope and pray that as you sing those verses of that song, that you remember that the hilltops are what you are looking at. You're not looking behind. You're not looking at the sufferings of this present time. You're looking onward to the goal. You're looking onward to the pearl. If you have a need, if there's anything we can help you with this morning, we have men and brethren that stand ready to help you, to pray with you. If your desire is to obey the gospel, to be buried with him in baptism, to walk in newness of life, and to begin your servitude to him, 
We would love to help you in that regard. Or if you desire the prayers of the church, whatever your need may be, we'd ask you to have a seat on the front pew while we stand and sing the song of invitation.